Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. In this episode of The Dad Project, Rich Meyer discusses guidelines for the use of technology by teens. Rich is a Chicago native who currently works as the headmaster of a high school in Orange County, California. He and his wife have eight children. I'd like to begin these thoughts on the use of technology and teenagers in our homes with a quote about the iPad. And see if you can guess this famous person that that offered this. The quote is, they haven't used it. We live in how much technology our kids use in the home. You might be shocked to learn that that was Steve Jobs himself referencing his family and his children and the use of technology um, in their own family culture. So as we think about that, we think about that in our own homes. And if the, the famous tech scion, uh, Steve Jobs, um, has some limits in his home and understands the proper context for the use of technology in his family's culture, how much more should we be doing the same thing as dads who are who are keenly interested in raising virtuous children and ourselves being great husbands and great fathers. But these thoughts aren't necessarily a doom and gloom presentation. Uh, I'm not going to assault you here with depressing statistics, though they certainly are out there regarding the, the growing use of technology. But what I, what I rather would do is, is, is threefold. First, uh, to spend a few minutes touching on genera- generational differences that exist in, our, in modern culture today. Second, to talk about important virtues to cultivate as relates to the use of technology in our homes and in the lives of our children, uh, both inside and outside the home. And then finally, uh, I'd like to offer you a series of seven uh, unabashed ideas on how to raise healthy teens and create great family culture here in the 21st century. So with that said, when we think about today's, uh, today's culture, we really span about four different generations. We, we, you know, we start with our baby boomers who, who came onto the scene uh, post-World War II, uh, up through uh, the advent of, the, of the, the coming of the Beatles, if you will, and the British invasion in the early 60s. And then we were followed by Gen Xers uh, from the mid-60s to the, to the late, uh, late 70s, uh, followed by the ever-present millennials coming in on the scene in the early 80s to the mid-90s. And then we have our modern-day culture. Uh, what many people refer to as Generation Z, or as uh, Dr. Gene Twangy, uh, who, who's recently wrote a book um, referring to these folks as iGeners, the, the students, these young men and women who were born in the mid-90s up until around 2012 or so. And in one of her recent books, it was interesting, Gene Twangy, she, she commented that uh, in, in, in a longitudinal study, that 2011 in society was the marker in which the majority of people in our country had smartphones. And it was interesting to see how that paralleled with the longitudinal study of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders that ranged from the early 90s, 1991 to 2017, that showed the happiness rating, if you will, peaking around 2007, 2008, and then starting to plummet dramatically to below the rates that were the benchmark when the study began back in 1991. And throughout uh, Jean's book, she, she makes a parallel between the advent of technology in the pocket um, and the decline of, of the, the subjective term happiness uh, amongst, 
amongst 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, again, according to this longitudinal study. And we think about some of the, uh, an outgrowth of this study was they, they pinpointed some, uh, some specific activities that impact happiness. And those activities on the positive side, uh, and these are all self-reported, again, from teenagers, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, were uh, doing homework, believe it or not. So having a job and working, uh, the use of actual print media, newspapers and books, magazines, uh, social interactions, religious services, going to church, sports and exercise. And, and then ultimately, the thing that teenagers are king of, particularly if you have sons, as I do, teenage sons, sleeping. And on the negative side, um, again, reported from teenagers themselves impacting their levels of happiness. You saw video chatting, television, texting, gaming, social media, excessive use of the internet. Uh, so you see that there's this inherent sense, I think, that teenagers have that this, although they may be in some ways addicted or compelled to use these technologies, they know that it isn't the pathway, uh, a pathway toward happiness. So um, when we think about today's teens, I think it's important for us to reflect on, well, what is it that we're trying to do? Because I, I think it's naive for us as, as parents, as fathers, to think that uh, a Benedict option where we, uh, we turn off every electronic device in the home, uh, we, print, we pretend like it's 1940s, or we return to the dark ages, and the only way that we use to communicate is via a telephone uh, or mail and telegraph is completely and totally unrealistic. It's not part of our culture today. Uh, we're here squarely in the 21st century, and, and I think we need to learn how to, in some ways, adapt. Um, but in some ways, how to adapt virtuously and use the tools that we have to help cultivate virtue in our, in our children. Because certainly, I think we can all acknowledge that technology um, has its benefits. Uh, the fact that you're listening to this podcast somewhere, uh, somewhere in the world at some time, probably on, on a phone yourself or driving in a car or on a computer or wirelessly is, is, is itself recognition that there are great things that can be done with technology. There, there's so much to be done. But how do we corral it for the, for the proper use of the cultivation of virtue? In, in our sons and in our daughters. Um, well, I'd like to suggest a few things. Um, first, and this is the most important, is that we have a sporting spirit, a sporting spirit about technology, that it's a, this is a great vehicle for our, for our kids to grow in virtue. And, and I might suggest four or five ways in which that can happen. Um, the first is temperance. Uh, temperance may be defined another way as is simply mastery of self or, or mastery of will that we don't allow one to be dominated by one's whims or passions. And that's really important, particularly for teenagers that are, uh, that are, that hormones are, hormones are raging, uh, their bodies are changing. And for them to, at an early age, understand what it takes to cultivate uh, a sense and that virtue of temperance becomes a, becomes a foundational virtue for them to grow in other virtues. And again, a, a quick study shows that back from 2018, adult Americans, check their phone on average 80 plus times a day. It's 80, 80 times a day. And with millennials and younger generations, sometimes tripling or even quadrupling that number on a daily basis. So this is a great opportunity to flip that and talk about with our sons and our daughters and frankly ourselves too about, about temperance. And we have hundreds probably of opportunities a day to be temperate, to not reach in and check our phone or check an email, or whatever it might be, a text, a, a tweet, a Snapchat. The, the second is selflessness. Teenagers, uh, and one could say maybe humans in general, but particularly teenagers, 
can tend to be selfless beings. So I think the proper cultivation of technology can can help our, our sons and our, and our daughters to to, important, to understand the importance of focusing on, on others. I always like to say to my kids, um, when I see some of my college kids come home, or I'll see the friends of kids, or I, or I happen to work in a school uh, with uh, high school. Uh, so if I'll see teenagers uh, buried with heads and phones after school, we don't allow them during the school day, but after school, often I'll come up to them and I'll say, hey, be where you are. Be where you are. You're here. You're here. You're surrounded by people. Give them your attention. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a, we want to give, give the gift of self to the people that we're with. It's an act of charity, really. I had an experience recently. I was traveling, uh, doing, uh, was on a professional trip with a colleague of mine here at the school. And uh, we were at the airport. And, and on a whim, as we were walking along, uh, trying to, trying to catch, a, catch a cab or an Uber to our hotel, we had a little bit of time to kill. We passed a shoe, sign, shoe shine stand. And, and we sat down and, and watching the people before us. And there were a bank of about three guys. And they were sitting in their shoe shine. And all of them were buried in their cell phones the entire time. No conversation with uh, the people shining the shoes. And so I sat down and, uh, and struck up a conversation with the shoe shine guy. My, my colleague did the same thing. Great guy. His name was Lester. Had one of the most contagious laughs I think I've ever heard in my life. And got to, got to share a little piece of myself and someone got to share a little piece of themselves with me. Just a, a neat personal interaction that would have been lost. Our Uber driver, a gal named Victoria, who was a former gospel singer who's decided to start her own t-shirt company. I mean, we lose all of these, all these small opportunities to to get to be with people, not just friends, not just colleagues, but with the random strangers that we encounter in our daily comings and goings. Um, so again, the proper use of, of technology, I think, can really help us to foster that gift of self to others, that sense of selflessness. A third point, I think, is that it also helps us to um, really appreciate the importance of silence. When was the last time you found yourself driving in a car, um, sitting in a doctor's office, waiting for someone, well, you just were alone with your thoughts. How important it is for us to be able to have that ability to just be silent, to just be at peace, to be at rest, so we can let that interior dialogue foster, be fostered throughout the day. We can reflect on things. We can think about the people that we just were with or the people that we're going to meet. We can think about coming home at, in the evening and what we want to talk with our family about around the dinner table, um, maybe a conversation we want to have with one of our children. Um, so. And the same thing for our own, our own children. So helping, the, helping our, our, our sons and our daughters and, frankly, ourselves understand the proper context for the use of technology has that benefit of helping us to get accustomed to silence, to not to be afraid to be alone with our thoughts. Um, the fourth would be well-ordered. I think that being well-ordered um, can be an outgrowth of putting technology in its place. Again, I, I mentioned I work in a high school before. And I always chuckle when, when parents will come to me and they'll say things like, oh, boy, my son or my daughter, she had five hours with her homework last night. She was in a room from seven till midnight, and I wish she'd get more sleep. And I always say, hey, really? Five hours of homework? Tell me about it. Well, she's in there, and she's working on her laptop, and she's got her phone, and she's working and chatting with friends and homework. And, and sometimes I'll have to burst the bubble of naivety, and I'll say, well, I bet if you challenged her. I bet those five hours of air quotes homework um, were maybe could be done in, in two straight solid hours of focused, concentrated work. So helping our, helping our children to, to have longer attention spans, to really get into the work that they have, to be able to put distractions aside and turn off the Wi-Fi, turn off the phone, 
um, I think, again, is another important virtue to cultivate. As an aside, uh, there's a, uh, a computer scientist by the name of Cal Newport um, who works out at a university on the East Coast, wrote a book recently called Deep Work. Um, Cal's from, uh, Cal Newport's from Georgetown University. I would highly recommend uh, doing a Google search, maybe listening to a podcast or, or checking out the book on Amazon, Deep Work. But he reflects upon how hard it is to do deep work. But if you can master the skill of getting in deep, just how effective we can be as people, and particularly for our for our sons and our daughters, how how we can teach them how to cultivate the good habit of good habit of of, of deep work. And then that final point um, relates to the issue of purity, um, and maybe this is an issue more for more for men and, than women, more for boys than girls. Uh, but um, I mean, I won't certainly talk here ad nauseum about the dangers of pornography, but. Um, by, by controlling our habits and becoming temperate with our use of technology, um, one of the one of the biggest benefits, particularly for teenagers and particularly for teenage boys, is being able to um, grow in the virtue of purity, to maintain a chaste life, and to not have our mind and our heart sullied with uh, with imagery, um, so that damages and degrades our, our souls. But I think one of the first things for us to remember as parents, most important things, is that when we look at our teenagers. We need to see them not so much as teens, but rather uh, rather adults in the making. And we need to understand that that falling or making mistakes is it's part of the maturation process. So as say so we work to help cultivate these four or five virtues that I just mentioned, they're not going to be perfect. Frankly, we're probably not going to be perfect. But um, that falling, that making mistakes, is part of that maturation process for them. So we need to find ways to to strike that balance with our children. Uh, we certainly don't want to let them walk off the edge of a cliff to their death. But we also want to make sure that we let them slip off a boulder, that they can skin their knee, that it's okay to climb a little bit and fall. Um, real, real, real key for us as, as parents, and I think as dads, some of us, particularly maybe with our sons, have an innate ability um, to let our boys um, experience falls and failures, et cetera. Maybe we're more protective with our girls, but it's equally important for our sons and for our daughters that, that, we, are, that we draw lines in the sand. Um, when they're about to walk off the proverbial cliff, but at the same time, we, we, don't, uh, we don't cut off all opportunities for them to fall, fail, make mistakes, and learn and grow from those. So we want them to make good choices. We want them to learn how to make good choices, particularly with technology. Um, and when we do correct, when, we, when, when, our, when our sons and our daughters maybe do make mistakes, uh, particularly as teenagers, I think it's really important that we show respect for them as individuals. Uh, we take the time to explain to them the why behind things. Teenagers in particular are wired for the why. They're wired for the why, and they deserve to know the why. Um, even if you know or, or they feel like they might not agree, oftentimes, believe it or not, when given the benefit of the doubt, um, they'll appreciate. They'll appreciate being given the rationale behind decisions that are being made. So the third thing I wanted to chat about here in, in, in some of these comments were some real practical advice that I gleaned from, uh, honestly, some of my own parenting woes. Uh, some of the 20 plus years I've had of working with teenagers as, as a high school teacher and, and now a high school uh, administrator. Uh, so I'll admit I'm gonna I'm about to make some pretty bold proclamations. Uh, so I, and I don't do so to to offend, um, but I just do so to say that this is what I've personally found to work in the in the particular circumstances of our own children and our own family culture. So take what makes sense and I guess ignore what uh, ignore what doesn't. Um, and don't be don't be scandalized if I call uh, if I if I call some of us out with some of the things that we maybe are doing in our homes, um, and maybe you disagree. But here we go. So I have about seven seven tips on maintaining 
a serenity in, in the home. So seven suggestions, if you will, to spur serenity. Not bad for an alliteration. All right, the first, phones. I would not give a smartphone to any children, any child, I should say, prior to their senior year in high school. Um, we follow this practice as with our with our with now our four four older children, um, and we had a couple of couple of hiccups with our second one when we thought we tried at a younger age and it didn't work out, so we took it away and we uh, and we are now sticking to our rule of senior year and no earlier. In fact, a good friend of mine who's a who's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm sorry, who uh, who does a lot of uh, who does a lot of writing um, and study on uh, suicide and depression. I was giving a talk. At, at the school that I work at recently. And he had this line to say to parents. He said, giving your teen crack cocaine is less harmful than giving them a smartphone. And <laughs> so you could have heard an audible gasp from the crowd because probably 90% of the parents in the room, or maybe even 99, uh, had, had, had given their, uh, their sons and their daughters smartphones. And when you think about it, it's a television, it's radio, it's a video game, it's a computer, it's a party, it's always on and it's always in your pocket. But Honestly, they're just not necessary. Uh, flip phones, uh, like my, my two sons have, uh, still can communicate and they can text. Um, the big issue really with smartphones is that unadulterated internet access. Um, and frankly, even if you can control what's on the phone, like I know you can do with, with, with apps these days, it's frankly, it's still a distraction. Um, you know, recently there was a study about phones and proximity, um, regardless if they're on or they're off. And uh, it was with a bunch of college students and there was a study is their ability to maintain attention and do well on a test if their phone was sitting on a desk in a classroom and how that changed well, if it was sitting on a backpack, if it was sitting in their pocket, if it was on or off in those situations. And then finally, if it was not even in the room, it was back in their dorm room. And there wasn't much difference between it being on the desk or being in the pocket or being in the backpack, but there was a dramatic difference with it being in a dorm room. And I think one of the benefits of going old school and giving your giving your young middle schooler or maybe even a teenager a, a flip phone is there's frankly not a lot to be distracted with. It's a very functional tool. Uh, enables you to get a hold of them, uh, enables them to get a hold of you and not do much more than that. Um, in fact, there was a, I read a quote from the New York Times recently. It said, I, I love this quote. It said, if your kid is the last one to get a smartphone, you win. And also when you think about our family culture, well, I'm going to guess that most all of us as adults here have smartphones. Maybe our wives have smartphones. Um, but I would even when we're home, where do we keep them? Are they out? Are they on our nightstand? Um, are they sitting out in a charger in the kitchen, for example? Um, I would encourage us to even find a, a bit of a remote spot so that we're not always passing by cell phones in our house or in charging stations, smell phones, smartphones. I, I put them somewhere off the way and, and show some temperance ourselves and model that for for our uh, you know, for our sons and for our daughters. By means of a quick anecdote, I was taking a trip well, a couple of couple summers ago with some students from our school. And, and we were traveling through China and we were traveling through some pretty rural countryside in China where all of our students who were there, um, the vast majority of whom had cell phones, hit about a two hour stretch where no one had cell phone access. And you could see they started to look up from their phones started to look at one another and I, I seized the opportunity and I grabbed a, a pack, of, a deck of cards. When I sat down, I showed them one of the favorite games of the, that we like to play in our home uh, with, our, uh, with, our, with our family, a game called Up and Down the River. And none of these kids had seen this game before. And for the next two hours after I taught them how to play, they were engaged, they were laughing, they were having fun, they were being super competitive. Um, it was really neat to see. It was really neat to see 
a group of 10 or 12 teenagers totally locked into each other, engaged, and not at all distracted. And then about two hours later, the first one got a ding. And then he heard another ding on a cell phone. And then one said, hey, we got Wi-Fi again. And then slowly, that group of 12 just sort of filtered back into their own universe. Okay, so enough about phones, enough about smartphones. Two, the central location for technology. I would suggest that it would be a really important family, uh, family culture point is to not have screens in any bedrooms ever. And I would even suggest that that includes us as husbands and us as husbands and wives. In fact, always having screens, not just in the home, but always used in public places in line of sight of passersby, I think is just a great check to keep everybody in the home honest. And if you think about this, it kind of relates to the earlier point I made about that central location for technology, even having a bank where we charge our, our, our phones when we come home at the end of the day. Maybe it can go in a closet. Maybe it can be off the beaten path somewhere so it doesn't distract us. But when it is being used, always have it being used in a central location and certainly not ever um, in, in a bedroom. Okay, three. Right, this is perhaps only slightly less controversial than abandoning all use of cell phones. Uh, but that's having no need for video games. I One year we got the Wii for, for some of our younger kids and we tried a video game system again a few years later. And after a couple failed attempts to manage the process of using video games with great temperance in our home, we just abandoned them entirely, and I have to tell you, it was well worth uh, well worth the effort. Uh, so I just my challenge, challenge the need for video games in the home. Because I think I'm a big, uh, as an example, I'm a big licorice fan, and, and it's kind of like there's this, there's this great Australian licorice flavor. Name escapes me right now, but every once in a while, my kids and my wife knows if it's a birthday or it's Christmas to get me a bag of this licorice. Man, I'm telling you, once you open that bag of licorice, it's gone in, it's gone in five, ten minutes. It's hard to just have a single piece. Much like, much like video games. It's hard to just say, oh, I'll just go play a game for 10 or 20 minutes. Sometimes just no video games at all, I think, can be a, a, a positive contribution for our families. Um, the fourth is more of a, a philosophical point than a practical one, but I think it's to remember, I think it's important to remember that all men, nor children, nor teenagers are created equal. Um, they're not all created equal. So you very well may have some rules in place for some children that you don't have for others. And you know what? That's okay. Um, maybe our daughters are more disciplined than our sons in some fashion, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe our daughters could handle internet access while our sons might not. Maybe vice versa. So don't be afraid to, to modify rules based on the temperament of the individual child. Fifth, I think it's important for us to build a culture of purposeful use of technology, um, where we're always challenging um, everyone in our home. Our, if we see one of our, our children saddling up to the kitchen table because we know it's a central location, opening up the laptop to ask, hey, what are you doing? And the answer should come pretty quickly. Um, not, um, well, I was going to just, uh, you know, check ESPN. Um, but no, to be real purposeful. I need to get online because I need to do X. I need to check my math grade. Or I wanted to um, see how the Cubs did yesterday at the base, you know, yesterday in the game against the Reds or whatever it might be. Um, but to be purposeful, not to just use it for meander, you know, to pass the time, to kill time, to meander um, you know, aimlessly throughout the World Wide Web. Um, six, trust but verify. Um, to use an old quote from Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. It's okay to, it's in fact not okay, but we should trust our teens. But we should also verify what they're doing. Have filters in place on the technology that's in our home. 
and most more importantly too, and let our sons and daughters know that we have filters in place and use these to have a conversation from them from time to time. And maybe, just maybe, you don't bring up every issue that you encounter. Pick and choose the timing of your of your battles, right? Help these teenagers to grow in self-awareness. And sometimes that means giving them a little slack, again, as I said before, to make mistakes. Um, and again, I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of, uh, plenty of technology apps and things that we could download, um, iPhone and Android, et cetera. I will just speak personally. We use a, a, a program called Custodio, Custodio with a Q, um, that you can certainly find if you Google the name, um, to be really, really effective. Some that can be on smartphones, that can be on laptops, that can be on home computers. I can't go on my son's flip phone, but that's that's something different. But it's a really it's a it's become a really helpful tool for dialogue. And also, it also helps us to ask questions about how our kids back back to the virtues. How are they living purity? What are the challenges that they have with living purity? And also gives us an insight into um, sometimes their search habits, their viewing habits. So we kind of know the answer to the question before they even give it to us. And then finally. Um, I'd like to offer a suggestion that um, that has been a real game changer in my family's culture over the last coming up probably about a, on, a, on about a year now, um, and that's what we call No Tech Sunday. And I think this has been one of the best family cultural moves that we've ever made. Um, and quite simply, everything goes off. Period. Phones, computers, television, radio, everything. And it's a day that you devote completely entirely to the family. Um, you read together. Maybe you play board games. You go to the park. You make lunch. You have a picnic. You go on a hike. You, you do everything without any use of technology, in essence of electricity. Um, and so again, I'm not suggesting that we are impractical. Maybe you go and you, you're driving somewhere, of course, using technology in your car to get there. But frankly, even using your phone to get from des to a destination, you maybe plan ahead a little bit. You print up the directions the day before so, again, you can keep your cell phone off and you don't have to use uh, an app to navigate to where you're going. Uh, but we have found this to be so enriching for our family culture to the point where um, even our older children um, look forward to the respite that it gives. And, and that certainly requires um, us to you know, honor, the, honor Sunday as, as a day to be with family as a day to, to, to devote to one another, to be selfless, to give to the most important relationships that we have in this world, um, which oftentimes requires, too, getting work done on Saturday or on Friday afternoon before Sunday comes. So again, those are seven, uh, maybe uh, seven suggestions to spur serenity, and, and maybe you found a few that might be helpful for you and your family circumstances. They have been super helpful for, for, for me and for my wife and in, in raising our kids of, of different uh, of different ages, uh, you know, over these last several over these last several years. Um, as I close, a couple of my thoughts here, a couple of these thoughts here, I, I want to suggest a few resources that you might find again real real helpful as you as you seek to learn more about how to how to navigate these waters uh, with teens and technology. And I mentioned that Dr. Jean Twangy a bit earlier wrote a book called iGen. Uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs. Um, who has written a book called The Collapse of Parenting, strongly recommended. One of my favorite parenting authors, Jim Stenson, certainly anything by him. And I also mentioned Cal Newport and his book that came out a couple of years back called Deep Work. Um, so, so check out some of those resources. 
and 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 see if uh, some of those might be continue to be helpful and go a little bit deeper in the, in the things that we've kind of listened and, and, and chatted about here uh, in, in our time together. And to close, just a thought that for all of us to remember that parenting, it's an adventure. It is a great adventure. And it's important for us as, as fathers, as husbands, that we have a real sporting spirit, that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and, and by means of example, I always tell my, my sons in particular who are who are who have been living in the flip phone age and, and, and the dark ages of the Meyer family to embrace the the retrolution, as, as we like to say. Um, so have a little bit of fun. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. And and, and perhaps most importantly too, um, not to forget is that we as as men, as adult men, need to strive to model ourselves those same behaviors that we strive to cultivate in our sons and in our daughters. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.